Hi, it's Jeff here. Before we start our latest Six Nations pod, just a quick word to remind you of the Harp and Guinness Pint Predictor League. There's a signed copy of the book on how to become a pro rugby player by Brian Moylet for the player who gets the best score in one round. The leader so far is Andrew Byrne, who got 67 in round three, but there's two more rounds to go, and you can still win yourself some free pints from individual matches. So you can enter by first downloading the free Fanzo app and then joining our league. Just enter the code Harpin. That's H A R. P-I-N. Right, time to start harping on rugby. Welcome to Harping on Rugby. Before we focus on Ireland Six Nations assignment in Edinburgh, we've assembled an all-provincial panel to get an overview of the tournament so far. First representing Conant is the owner of the online entity known as The Second Row. He's earning his 11th Harpen cap today. Welcome back to Mr. Parra Kelly. Thank you very much. Great to be back. Always good to chat to you and everyone who you have on with you. Indeed. And uh, next we have our Munster panelist. He's been doing many articles and interviews on his Quailin S rugby blog. He's making his fourth appearance to our pod. Uh, hello, Mr. Quailin Scully. Hey, Jeff. How are you? Oh, very good. Thanks. Good to, good to have you. And um, last but certainly not least, we have the host of the Great Red Hand podcast, looking at all things Ulster. Welcome back for the third time to Mr. Peter Lockhart. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Good to be back. Indeed. Good to, good to, good to have you all. Um, now, listen, we're, basically, this is just an overview of um, what's how the Six Nations. I'm calling this the, the, the two rounds left panel. And um, it's, uh, we're, we're going to look at just basically how the competition's gone so far and how we think it's going to pan out uh, over, the, over the coming weeks. So we'll maybe just start with yourself, Parik. You know, just maybe want to harp on a bit about, um, how, you know, basically Ireland's matches so far. It's been a great tournament so far from an Irish perspective. Actually, it's been a great tournament so far. I think um, some of the best rugby in the Six Nations ever been ever has been played this year. Like if you take the Wales-England match and push it to one side and shove it far, far, far away from that list. But some of the rugby has been incredible. Like I think if from an Irish perspective, if you look at the the Wales match, I think that was kind of a business as usual, expected win, especially given... Um, the situation in Wales in every single facet of Welsh rugby. There's no way they could have put a really a good, strong performance together. The France game, I called that chess boxing. The first half of two teams just slugging out, going try for try. And then the second half, like, all right, sit down, play the presenters. And all the um, the tactical mouse of both teams came. And it was just an incredible, incredible watch. What I really liked about that game, especially, is that we showed... Ireland showed what we can do. We have a plan A, B, C, D. We have so many strings to our bow now. The pack, without Tyke Furlong especially, had a gear that no one really thought this pack had against what is a very big French team. Now, I don't think France played their best. I think they're at a bit of a having a wobble. And I think they're trying to do an Eddie Jones of adding a few extra strings to their bow before the World Cup and I think that's where a lot of these things especially French this year I think their eyes are on the World Cup not this Six Nations but I think you still have to beat them and mm-hmm. we bet them well uh, for me and like in those first two games the pack delivered we're seeing guys like Keenan just prove how world class he is uh, I'm enjoying Conor Murray's resurgence in an Ireland jersey it's been a while since he played that well and if we look at the Italy match and you know Mac Hansen getting his player of the match He's shown that rugby brain he has more and more, or more people are seeing it. His put himself in those positions for intercepts, uh, his defensive, his his ball running, all those type of things. And I think Stuart McCluskey has played, has shown what Ireland's strength and depth is like this throughout this tournament. He's like the the beacon of what 
that next layer or two down of what the level of performance they need is. So it's been a really, really good tournament so far. I've, I've enjoyed the rugby. I've enjoyed watching Ireland. Um, I think the only blip we've really had has been Bundy shifting to 13 against Italy. And I think you have to have the, the caveat of he never he didn't train there that week in any way, shape or form. And he hasn't played a full game from the beginning in, what, three months? You know, so if you should put those factors into it, obviously he wasn't going to have a great game. And I think you have to caveat his performance with that. Otherwise, you're just out, out with a knife. Uh, you know, you're just knives out, ready to kind of just take a guy down for no reason. Ringrose will come back in next week against Scotland, and you'll we'll see why straight away. Yeah, I mean, I think the overriding um, theme of, the, of these matches, and indeed, like maybe maybe the last year or so of uh, Andy Farrell's tenure has been the the difference between the the natural trepidation and fear that we have as fans. Um, we're always worried. Well, no matter who we're playing, uh, we're, what, we, we always have expectations and we, we might be worried, oh, this guy's injured. Do we have the depth? Who's, are we, what are our combinations like? And, and, you know, we were missing a lot of what we consider frontline players going into this uh, six nations, but uh, the, whatever, whatever trepidations we had, it wasn't being shown by the team. And um, they, when they click in, like you say, Connor Murray, like we know what he can do. He came in and he, 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 he played his game and he ran the game the way he wanted, but um, it, it, you know, it, he's a different kind of player to Gibson Park, but still you didn't notice um, you, you, the, the, the game was still, the, the team was still playing the way they did and they, they knew what they were doing. How have you made it so far? Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the tournament. I think like from, from a broad view of things i think we're in a weird scenario for a world cup year we don't really know where any team is probably apart from ireland and even with that i don't think ireland have peaked or even come close to peaking that's obviously a buzzword on a world cup year but i just look at as you said you know no johnny sexton ty burn um like furlong robbie henshaw gary Ringrose, these guys jemson gibson park missing at different stages and we're still three from three you look at across the board, every team has had some sort of not not fatal flow because obviously the tournament is still wide open. But you, there's lots of question marks about England. There's lots of question marks about Scotland. And Finn usually gets the brunt of those, rightly or wrongly, depending on what side of that you are. And obviously France haven't been as good as last year, but would you be surprised if they roll into Twickenham on Saturday afternoon and win? You You wouldn't, you know, even if it's, something like 15 or 16 years since they've won there. But drawing it back to Ireland, I, I, I've i been really impressed, more so than the in the autumn, because I think coming into it, we there's obviously the scar tissue of before, of 2019 and 2015. But straight away having injuries brings you back and you're just thinking, well, that's what derailed us in those years as well. It was injuries as much as, much as form, it was injuries. No tight furlong, you know, Johnny Sexton, we don't know if he'd make the Wales game. And they go out and they blitz Wales. And it's like the summer in New Zealand again. They just blitz teams at the start. You look at France and that was one of the greatest first halves of rugby, as Park was alluding to. And then not only a great first half, but a, a really um, smart tactical affair in the second half that was utterly enjoyable. But like you look at who was putting their hands up. It's it's Caelan Doris, it's Hugo Keenan, it's Mac Hansen, James Lowe. Guys who were not there three, four years ago. We didn't really know about them. We knew about them, obviously, as provincial fans, but 
we didn't know about their their international pedigree and they've stood up and they're they're getting going they're really starting to motor now and I do think like I didn't think there was a in Ireland this year I thought they'd come unstuck somewhere along the line they could still on Sunday you know the nerves will, will shoot up come come three o'clock on Sunday I think between us and between everyone listening but there is a there is a in this team there is a World Cup push in this team and to think that after all the injuries and slight questions about form after that Australia game I, I think that's all you can ask for and Andy Farrell talks about adversity you lose Gary Ringlos before the Ishley game you lose Tyke Byrne and Johnny Sexton within five minutes of each other against France the bus is late in Cardiff you lose Johnny Sexton against Australia they lose Tyke Furlong against South Africa they won all those games you you simply cannot ask for any anything else. So I'm happy out with how it's gone so far. Yep, definitely. Um, just just when you listen back to this, to sort of warn you that uh, we we're gonna I'm gonna bleep out the that GS phrase that you used there. It's a little joke we have in the pod that we have we have it banned. Um, but, um, but uh, I didn't say that, but it's just a bit of a laugh. Like, but if you're wondering what the buzzer noise is, that's what it's going to be. Uh, Peter, how have you seen it so far? Yeah. So. Um... To me, this Six Nations for Ireland has all been about understudies and their importance to the Irish team. So um, depth chart is one of the most used phrases in Irish rugby at the minute. And for good reason, everyone's thinking about the depth chart. We're looking around at other teams. And this Six Nations has been very helpful because it has enforced um, certain changes and certain guys, uh, it has allowed them to step up. I think the pick of the bunch is Finley Bealham. Um and I'm sure uh, certain certain panelists will be delighted at me saying that. But but Bealham's an obvious uh, person to pick on because he's been so good. And I I always rated Bealham. I thought he's a good player, but I thought the drop off between Furlong and him was massive. And that is not no reflection on Bealham. It's more reflection how good Furlong is. But um, uh, Bealham's been really good, and sometimes injury enforces these changes, and then guys guys step up. You either sink or swim, and and Bealham has has been fantastic. And ironically, I, I think that the sort of next pick of the bunch is Bealham's understudy in Tom O'Toole. And uh, I, I always would have said, to be honest, I think O'Toole has a higher ceiling than Bealham. But Tom O'Toole for Ulster hasn't really kicked the head. Part of that, that is the magnificent form of Marty Moore at Ulster before he got a, a, a season-ending injury there uh, about a month ago. So for a man who struggles to get in the Ulster team and, and probably, truthfully, will probably still struggle to get in the, into the Ulster team with the, the rise and prominence of Jeff Tamaga Allen, who's joined us this season. Um, to, it says a lot to me about Farrell as a coach and he brings out the best in players. And he's certainly done that for Tom O'Toole. And there's other guys there as well. And I notice it more from an Ulster perspective. Guys, they're average at Ulster. Or maybe not uh, not anything special. They go away and uh, they, they turn into superstars for Ireland. Um, the, the other guys, uh, talking of understudies, Ronan Kelleher, again, uh, he's a guy who burst onto the scene he was number one. It was it was then sort of injury that, that allowed Shane. He, he's a guy who, who took his opportunity with both hands. And you'd have to say Shane is probably 
the best hooker in the world right now. I, I don't think there's a huge amount of debate about that. But Rudin Keller has really stepped up as well. And our stocks at, at tight head and at hooker are really strong. Now, there's certain parts of the team where that isn't the case. But again, we can talk about that later on in the podcast. But um, Ross Byrne, again, I'd been, and no offence, Jeff, because I know you're an Anster fan, but I, I'd been a wee bit uninspired by, by Ross Byrne. I sort of uh, don't see him as a... Uh, or certainly previously I hadn't seen him as a massively inspiring choice if Sexton were to get injured. But now uh, I, I'm much more confident that he can come in and do a job and, and not just do a job, but uh, he's uh, any any chance he's given, he he hasn't disappointed. And, and it's great to see. Uh, I'm not going through, through all the, the guys, but Connor Murray, Craig Casey, People had written. People are eager to write Conor Murray off um, for whatever reason. I think there's always a call from certain sections of fans to have a changing of the guard. Conor Murray's viewed as sort of ha- past his best or whatever. Conor Murray's, ha- and I think that's partly because he was one of the best from halves in his peak in the world, uh, sort of 20, 2018, 2019. Uh, Connor Murray was was fantastic, but um, him and Craig Casey have to say another one would be Ryan Bird, um, a great great uh, great player, hybrid sort of six. Uh, I think he's best at six certainly, but um, he adds real depth and and competition for places there in the back row. So look, I, I think it is good. One one of the things I sort of noticed this week, and and I try and do this is get outside of the Irish rugby bubble and and look at what the rest of the world is saying about Ireland during this uh, Six Nations. And I think the chat is basically from the Southern Hemisphere through the press in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. They're talking about Ireland and France surpassing now the Southern Hemisphere teams. That's the real fear for them that uh, Ireland and France are just a level above now. The headline in one of the sort of French national newspapers was the king of the world is Irish. Uh, and the sort of I took made a wee note of, of of part of the article. They say over the course of a magnificent match. This is just after the France game, of course. The Irish have proven there today the best rugby players in the world. Courageous Les Blues, uh, therefore logically fell in Dublin. We quickly understood on Saturday we are living in a great moment of rugby. So for the French press see this Irish team is as special and certainly the starting 15 is, but um, more encouragingly, it's been the, the guys who have stepped up and uh, that list of guys is talking about um, what uh, we have uh, able deputies, um, but we in our starting 15, we have maybe three or four of the best players in the world in their position. I'd say Keenan, Van der Fleer, Doris, Sheehan, Sexton, um, those are probably, you know, ring. <laughs> you could argue ring Ruse Henshaw, uh, and um, with a lot of injuries, I've been really encouraged by this uh, by this Six Nations. So I'll not go on, but that's uh, I, I I just think it's it's great, and we shouldn't take this moment for granted in Irish rugby because it's something special is brewing at the moment. Absolutely, I mean, I mean, on the depth, I mean, it's like when you when you win a series in New Zealand it'd be easy for people to go, right, that's the team. They're the guys. That's it. Nothing else but them is going to do it. But, um, I mean, you, you look at that series and you figure, like, someone like James Hume and uh, people we were talking about then and uh, that, that, that uh, I distinctly remember saying, we've got Ringrose, Henshaw, Hume, and Aki. That's it. Four centers. That's it. And then we weren't talking about Stu McCluskey. 
And um, look, here he is back in team. And sure, Luke Marshall isn't far away either. Do you know what I mean? It's it's uh, it's 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 amazing the depth we've seen at all the different positions. So that's great. And on Ross Byrne, you did you didn't offend me at all because I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. Um, I used to say that he he he's a driver of a different type of car, but he has to always he was always driving Sexton's car. And uh, if he if he Maybe if he'd come up in the premiership or something or in a different place where he could have a team built around him for his style of game, he'd be a different player now. But it's it's just he's gotten to the stage now where he spent his career um, being able to come on for Sexton and take his place and and run that team. I think it's I think it that has stood to him at a time when um, maybe other alternatives just haven't worked out or they've been injured or whatever. He's he just I guess was in the right place at the right time. But you're right across all the across all the positions. Uh, even Tighthead, which was one where we thought we just had one gem, like you say, and nothing else after it. We've 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 been able to find players that that can get it done, you know. Okay, so listen, we'll we'll, we'll move on a little bit from there, and maybe talk about we're talking about how well Ireland did. Uh, over the first uh, the first three matches, and it's been great. I mean, you can't do better than 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 we've done in terms of points. Um, but um, we, what one thing we said after every match is like, well, we've done well, but there's work ons. This great phrase, work ons, work on. So maybe maybe we'll have a look at look at them a little bit, and we'll go back to yourself, Peter. Maybe for this one, if, if you're gonna if you did have to make changes in one area, or um, you know not necessarily personnel or style of play or anything that we might need to shore up on, uh, what do you'd be thinking? Yeah, well, I suppose uh, the, the most recent thing we have to reflect on and, and the, the, the thing which exposed weaknesses was the Italy game and it was um, a bit of a wake-up call. Um, now, there, there are some key issues uh, that need to be fixed going into, into the last game, but I think um, we need to give credit to Italy. And I think we get in a flap, you know, Irish media um, gets in a flap about, oh, Ireland, Ireland, they're off the boil. I think you have to say Italy were defensively outstanding. Um, a, a lot of the, the dominance um, at, at the breakdown, physicality came from Italy. They seem to want it more. There's a complacency that grows naturally in teams that are, that are doing well. You come from this incredible high um, of of the uh, of of the run of games that you had in the Six Nations, awesome result against France, um, one of the best performances I think I've seen as a as an Irish rugby fan. And then it's quite hard to get teams up the net, you know, for for a game that you're expected to win. And then you, you factor in the fact that, that there were a few guys, uh, a few changes for that game as well. So. I thought um, Jack Conan was a bit disappointing. He's a bit anonymous in that game. Um, Ring Rose, uh, again, the, the other guys will will talk about that, I'm sure. So I don't want to steal their point. But I, the, the obvious thing is if, if we're missing Ring Rose, we look a bit suspect. Uh, and he's a defensive leader. Um, and we looked a wee bit lost without him, unfortunately. Um, so... I think of all the positions that we talked about, were we a bit light in centre, um, guys to come into the team? I'd love to see more from Jamie Osborne. Um, I think uh, he's someone I'd like to see see given a few minutes. Uh, certainly in a game like that, where it was a choice between Aki, who hasn't really been playing, um, and 
the likes of Jamie Osborne probably would have opted for the sort of unknown quantity because I, I mean I think you have to pick guys who are playing well for their club and for whatever mysterious reason Aki hasn't been playing yet <laughs> instantly straight back into the team which for the world's best team I don't think that's that's not befitting of the world's best team some guy who hasn't no I know it's Bundyak he's a fantastic player but you have to earn your right to play for Ireland you shouldn't just be airdropped in uh, having, having not done it for your province um, but yeah, we went into that as overwhelming favourites, um, and uh, we, we were given a bit of a shock. And look, I think that's um, I think that's actually helpful in the long term to realise that you're not invincible. Um, uh, in, in terms of weaknesses, again, it just didn't really click. It's difficult for me probably to put my finger on exactly what went wrong. But um, in terms of personnel. You know, it's good you have a, a spread from the provinces here this evening uh, on the podcast because um, we can we can look at our we all know about our, our guys who we want in the team. Now, I, I would I would make a, 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 and Nick Timoney has been called up um, uh, just there today or yesterday was it? Um, he's been called up for these last two games. I'd love to see him play a bit more. He he is probably the, the most natural um, replacement for Van der Fleer if, if Van der Fleer gets injured. Um, and as I say, there's guys like I'd, I'd like to see um, Rob Herring's probably third choice hooker, rightly so. Uh, Jacob Stockdale's a really interesting one. Um, he's probably the second choice. We're talking about this actually on, on the Red Hand podcast. Uh, Jacob Stockdale's probably. Um, the second choice winger for Ireland, despite having been really out of form behind James Lou, I, I would argue that uh, uh, if you didn't see the game at the weekend against Cardiff, he he showed glimpses of what he can do. He did the, the, the classic, they call it the stock chip, that chip yeah. and chase and recover, and uh, and he scored a fantastic try. But uh, he didn't have a great game in other aspects as well, so wouldn't get too carried away. But look, I, I think Ireland had a bit of a potential banana skin there against Italy. But look, they turned up, and and it's in some ways they're honouring in their consistency because they'll they'll they're always going to win. I I wasn't particularly worried they're going to lose lose that game, but um, they just didn't get off the bus until sort of the second half, uh, and things started to click a wee bit more, but. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too discouraged by that. I'd be interested to hear the thoughts of the other guys, though, if they can put their finger on exactly what went wrong, apart from the, the whole ring ruse being missing. Yeah, I mean, the thing the thing about um, playing Italy now is that, uh, like in in the past, we you, you would put out a lesser side against Italy, and then at the end of the game, there would be mistakes, but you'd get away with them. And um, we'd always be saying, well, you wouldn't do that against France or you wouldn't do that against whoever. Um, but the, the thing is, what against against Italy, um, now that they've got the confidence up, they've been they're winning. They're, they're, they're starting to get some wins now and they're beating big teams. It's like you make a mistake and they do punish it and they, they will put points on you down the other end. And, uh, you know, you know, you know, you have to, to, to stay on your guard against them. And um, talking about Osborne, um, that brings in. Osborne and the way Conan's been playing as well, it brings in uh, two positions 
two key positions on the bench, I think is 20 and 23. Um, you need to, those selections have to be done right. You need the, someone with the versatility to, 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 to play in those positions. So that's a, that's a real crucial, like with, with Osborne, I, I keep track of, uh, I have a nerd spreadsheet of all the selections um, for, for the season. And Osborne's line reads like a bingo card. He's like, he's played 11, he's played 14, 12, 13, 15, uh, a couple of times on the bench and all. And he's, he's had that kind of versatility, but there's a lot of players that are like that. And there's a, there's a big choice. So that's, a, that's, that's definitely something that's up for grabs. We'll go to yourself now, Paul Rick. Um, what, what do you, what do you think? It, that Italy game was just really, really weird. Cause when you think about it, it was Craig Casey started with Ross Byrne, which is a new combination. You had a new combination at center. Yet the back three had all played together, obviously. And, I think to give Jack Cole in a start, they put KMDR to, to six, which he is very good at because he's a very good player. But I don't think you get the best out of him at six. Um, I think we lost at eight by having Cole in there over Doris and in for Ireland anyway. And then with the injury to Tyke Byrne, suddenly there's a change in the there's a change in the second row. And then Finney Bean gets injured early on. There's a change in the front row. There are so many changes to that team that it might look quite settled, you know, when you look at the team sheet. But actually, that team had rotated. There was lots of changes there. And that's why you had that those mismatches, that kind of lack of communication, that the, those spacing errors, especially when you think the likes of James Lowe, Gary Ringrose, train with each other day in, day out in Leinster. They know instinctively where each other are on the pitch. They don't need to look. And that's the difference between someone at those reps. And especially because Bundy wasn't playing at 13 during the week and Ringrose was training there. Suddenly he has even less reps to James though. And that's why there's those, that defensive line was so ragged. I think there's the big, my two things was that tinkering of the back row, especially that number 20 Jersey. Cause I think O'Mahony is our number six, especially when you think of, the new rugby laws and speeding up the game, his line out jumping is so effective that having him there as a defensive line out jumper is a necessity. Um, he gets up so quickly, he ruins ball, he just puts pressure on opposition ball. And with the speeding up of line outs, that's a really huge asset to have. So for me, having a 20 who can take over his jobs when they come on is vital. I think Baird brings energy, but I don't think he brings those rock hits, that kind of, that donkey work that Peter Manny gets through more than any. So Caelan Doris can play like he does. So Van der Flair can play like he does. So James Ryan can have more impact with ball in hand. He's doing that because the likes of Ian Henderson and Peter Mahoney are just hitting rocks and doing all that donkey work that gets no thanks and you can't measure, but it's what keeps ball flowing. And the big issue from all three games so far is we're not finishing chances. I think we've lost, we've left six, seven, eight tries behind so far in the tournament. We're in games are tighter than they, that any games are far too tight and they're too tight than they need to be. So that's the big thing. Just getting that ball down. Uh, because if you're scoring those tries, these don't turn into games that you're worried about anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And what I always say about uh, Omani is it's like he's, I mean, for all he does on the pitch as well, it's just his, just his presence 
um, in the 23. Somehow it, it, it's, a, it's just a big, it, it's an indescribable factor just to have in the team. It's about, you know, part of the leadership group, part of the whole, the whole thing of just, um, just, just having his uh, just personality, uh, just knowing even just lining up for the anthems, it's a big deal having him there. And, uh, but then again, like you say, he comes on when he is a sub, he comes on the first line out. You almost know is going to him because they need his uh, impact uh, pretty much straight away. Uh, what do you make of it, Kylan? Well, I think Park made a great point there about Peter Romani and his, impact and I think you are starting to see the difference and it's not always a, a step down per se because again we are winning games we are figuring things out as we go but there is that kind of a difference in different selections so you look at even McCluskey at 12 as opposed to Bundy or as opposed to Robbie Henshaw they're they're growing into it they are like that's the thing the, the next man up is feeling less like ne- less man up and feeling more like plug and play. And I, I know that sounds like the same thing, which if if you get where I'm coming from, and that's that's been a huge thing. But then at the same time, you look at that Italy game, there was there was seven changes. Like if Leinster and Munster go out before a Heineken Cup game, albeit say a weaker Heineken Cup team makes seven changes, you'd kind of be a bit worried. And I think it's it's testament to the lads that they have gotten three bonus point wins in this championship and they fall off the rough patches in games and yeah, they haven't taken all their chances. They didn't do that in New Zealand. I I talked about this at the start of the championship on my own pieces. They really haven't been taking chances for the last two years, dating back to the summer of 2021 when they played Japan and then they bet New Zealand the following November. Even then, that was a bit of a thing. So that's something that could be worked on. But then, like you look at Leinster and their tap and go plays, maybe that's the next evolution for this team. We like we don't know. There seems to be, I'm not going to say a deterrent away from the mall, but compared to the Joe Schmidt era, we're not scoring as many mall tries, despite having the same players or close to the same players there. Um, and I don't want to jinx us, but thankfully we haven't been caught for the double banking at the mall too much so far. Now we could get called for five times on Sunday after after I say that, but like there is little little things there that you could look and you could say it's not going well, or you could say maybe it's not too bad. Maybe you know we're we're looking at different different parts for a game and like rolling into to Scotland and England, we're going to have to make further changes. It's a six day turnaround for for that England game. Um, what will probably be a championship decider, regardless, unless there's a freak result on Saturday and Sunday. So there's going to be further changes. And I think that's a big part. We're able to make changes. We're able to go with different guys, slightly different systems. And yeah, like call a spade a spade. Peter O'Mahony's impact is huge. Mike Burns' impact is huge. You know, Johnny, Jemson Gibson Park, Gary Ringrose. But they are finding a way. And that is that is something that, for as good as Joe Schmidt teams were, they didn't always find a way. And in years gone by so there, like there's both sides to look at that and it looks like we'll have a fully fit squad for for Sunday so you are looking at five or six changes again and seeing where they go but I'd still be I, I don't want to say everything's perfect because it's not but I think the and I've said this a few times now where Ireland are kind of at their their weakest and even that that feels a bit disingenuous are not very hard fixes 
because we're typically good at them. You know, we're typically good at the mall. We're typically good from close range. You know, we have guys like Andrew Porter who would just run over you and he get in underneath and he will score nine times out of ten. We've been unlucky at times. And that for me is like you have to rotate, you have to blood guys and different things. But for me, the fact that we're not looking at scrum and how we're being mauled and we're not looking at losing the, the physicality battle or the ruck battle and being slowed down, but slightly slower than last year. Um, but the fact that it's not glaringly massive things that are that you mightn't turn around in two two games or even for further down the line is that that's something that would fill me with with optimism, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, um, and you you talk about like how we're going to be for the decisive game against uh, what could be the decisive game against England the following week. I mean, I, it only dawned on me just before we sat down to record that because we're playing on Sunday, if the result goes a certain way on the Saturday, it could be def- decisive both ways for Scotland and Ireland. Scotland would have the triple crown uh, on the thing, and we could we could actually have a chance of actually clinching the championship on the Sunday the way it goes. So it'd be a good test for the team and because this team has already kind of had a test with the triple crown and then they had a decisive New Zealand uh, test win. They've gone into big matches, big kind of must win matches. And uh, it's really good preparation uh, as well for, for the world cup down the line as well. So there's a, it's good to have the work ons um, for sure. And you've definitely, you've definitely picked out a lot there. Okay. So as well, speaking of Sunday, I suppose we could just start maybe to have a look at, um, how the rest of the tournament's going to go. I was just thought maybe go to you all and see, not even just Ireland, like there, there's other games as well. And there's a lot of issues. There's only six nations, but every every position has kind of meaning and uh, for, for the different nations. And they all have their own little little uh, dramas going on. So maybe go around to you all, uh, starting with yourself, Kaylon, and uh, tell us how, how you think the, the remaining six matches might go. Yeah, to be honest, I, I've, I've said this once or twice now, I think this weekend is, in a weird way, the best weekend because there's so many different there's so many different angles to look at it from. So you look at Wales, Italy, typically a slugfest that no one enjoys. Will Italy come into this game without Ange Capuzzo, who was a massive loss, but they are the bookies' favourites for a Six Nations game for the first time in, I think it's eight years or nine years or something like that. And it, it rarely happens in Six Nations history against a dilapidated Wales who they don't know their first team. They don't know if they have a contract offer coming around the table, coming onto the table or not, which is a horrible situation. And like, we really don't know how Wales can pick themselves up. Bar just and going to the emotional well and hoping they find something. Then you have Le Crunch. And obviously for Ireland, there's a chance that, that the result of that could impact our game on Sunday, as you touched upon. And that's always big. But as I said earlier, I think it was 2000 and 2005, I think, the last time that France won in Twickenham. Like it's, it's a long time, you know, and they typically don't. And they've had a couple of tight matches, but they've also been mauled a few times in Twickenham. So, well, I don't know if the scar tissue is there, but it's kind of like one of the the Andy Farrell quotes where it's like, we want to take every box. And for France, they'll be going into this Saturday's game trying to do that, to win in Twickenham. They've won in Dublin, albeit without a crowd. They've won in the Millennium Stadium. They've won down in Australia. And they've beaten New Zealand, South Africa at home. 
So that's that's a huge one for them. And then obviously Sunday, it's like if you're being really critical, and I'll offer both sides here. If you're being really critical, last Sunday or last Sunday week was the biggest game in Scotland's history since the 90s. And they went 20 nil down or 19 nil down after 20 minutes. Now they're in a situation where this Sunday is their biggest game since the 90s as they look for a triple crown. And they can't afford to do the same thing again because Ireland are probably the fastest starters in world rugby, not just international, but club rugby as well. And for me, like, there's just so many different angles. And as I said at the start, we really don't know where a lot of these teams are, to be, to be quite honest. Like, it would not surprise me if we had three away wins at the weekend. It also wouldn't surprise me if we had three home wins. Do you know, so there's, there's really so little between the teams. And then going into Championship Sunday, like, it's not like the last day of a league where teams kind of don't care and you make a couple of changes for the sake of it. Everyone's going gung-ho and obviously all of our eyes will be on the Aviva Stadium on, on the Saturday, the Super Saturday as, as they coin it. But by the time that comes around, like I don't even want to look that far ahead because I just, this weekend, it promises, it doesn't always deliver in rugby, but it promises to be everything we ask for in the Six Nations, everything the Six Nations typically delivers. And if Ireland win, obviously we'll be, we'll be saying that regardless, we'll say it's great kind of like we did two weeks ago when we had um, two classics and a, and a slugfest. But it's, it really is interesting. It's intriguing. It's, there's just so many question marks among these six teams. And I think it's, it speaks to the competitiveness of rugby at the moment. First of all, like at an international level, now you could be cynical and say they're competitive, but there's no standout team and, Maybe by Ireland or France, there isn't. But it is it is poised to be hell for leather. And listen, if Ireland get the win on Sunday, I don't care if it's 3-0. I really don't. I just like go to go to Murrayfield and win. Go, you know, get the job done. Yes, we've won in New Zealand. Yes, we've won in Twickenham. Yes, we've won in Cardiff. We've won in Murrayfield without a crowd. Still a tough place to go to. Get there, get the job done roll on to the following weekend and across the board I think there's there's six teams who were this this weekend if if you want to be truly hyperbolic about it this weekend could be pivotal come September for all six teams because if Italy lose they're thinking well how are we going to survive with France and New Zealand for instance if Wales lose they're looking at that Australia game and Eddie Jones is, is cheeky smirk on his, on his face and thinking not this guy again. I'm sure he and, has and that it, anyway. He has it. He has it anyway. Yeah. But that, that list just goes on and on. And like it is, it, it's everything that the Six Nations is. And listen, hopefully Ireland go all the way. They win their final two games. They win the championship. But even if they don't from here, I know it'll be mass, a massive shock. But even if they don't, you're, you're left sitting there and you're like, well, it's competitive. It's really, it's really tough to win. Like, I feel like one of the Netflix series is, is going to say that this time next year. Like, it's tough to win. Like, we know. But it, it is. And it's, it's probably the biggest weekend of the rugby calendar this year, to be honest, until we get to France in September. Yeah, absolutely. There's definitely a lot of uncertainty over all the, all the matches. All right. Uh, what do you make of it, Peter? 
Yeah, I love uh, Kalen's a great hype man for this type of thing, and he gets <laughs> me, always gets me excited about uh, the upcoming weekend of sports. So thanks for that. I'm definitely looking forward to it now. Uh, another thing that gets me excited is all the chat that goes on before these games in the media. Uh, I, I listen to um, Off the Ball quite a lot, um, and uh, Andy Dunn in particular, and he came up with some stuff during the week there. I think we're going to do a job on them. We're going to put them back in their box uh we're gonna draw a line in the sand and uh and uh make a, a marker for sort of the, the the benchmark for for scotland to aim towards and all this and it's caused a lot of outrage in scotland and i am personally uh pretty worried about scotland because i think uh scotland playing at home um like it's, uh, and I have to admit that I really enjoyed watching Scotland as well. They're a fantastic team to watch. Um, there, there is maybe a sense of overconfidence, and that's largely Finn Russell. Uh, he brings that overconfidence uh, to his side. Whether it's uh, whether that is delusional, and Scotland are getting ideas above their station is up for debate. I don't think that I don't think so, though. I think uh, you look at some of the quality players there, Hugh Jones. Uh, Van der Merva, uh, he's a game breaker. Do you know he's um, a man who can? He's got an X factor about him, as does Stuart Hogg. As much as it pains me to say it, <laughs> I have to say I enjoy watching watching all those guys. Um, but look, I, I do think um, they have uh, a sense of Scotland have a sense of momentum. As Caelan was sort of talking about, um, they have this sort of unique opportunity uh, and I think they're they're going to pose issues for Ireland uh, uh, on Sunday. I'm very much looking forward to it. In terms of the other games, I'd say into, um, I think Italy have, have played really well. We've been waiting a long time for sort of a resurgence or crop of young guys coming through and that, that has to an extent happened. This Six Nations have seen glimpses of what Italy can do uh, so uh, they're playing. It's uh, Wales, and and I think it's uh, yes Scotland. After that, so I mean, those are two winnable games for for Italy potentially. Is it, uh, sorry, maybe not the Scotland game, but certainly the Wales game. Uh, and historically, I suppose Scotland would be you'd fancy your chances if if you're Italy. But look, it's it's good to see a resurgent Italy. I think. Uh, I'll focus on what I know. I'll not. I'll not predict the other games. But looking ahead to Ireland, England, I just think day after St. Paddy's Day, Dublin. I don't see England. England doing uh, causing any difficulty for Ireland. Big words and talk is cheap, as as we've learnt uh, from off the ball this week and all the chat yeah. Andy Dunn's been giving it. But I love that. I love it, and uh, really looking forward to the the next couple of games. Nothing better than the Six Nations. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's, there's definitely a lot to look forward to. We had um, we had a guy called Sandy Smith. He's the Bergwatch on Twitter on uh, this time last week. And we were talking about Edinburgh, uh, but we also talked a bit about Scotland. And he, basically the, 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 thing, the thing about this Scottish team, and we haven't said this about Scotland for a while, is that uh, you always feel that there's, uh, no matter how, even, even if they fall behind, you always know they've got a try, maybe two in them, uh, that, that they could, they could, uh, uh, turn over, a, 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 you know, if they fall behind the scoreboard, they could turn that over quickly if you let them. 
And uh, personally, what I'm looking forward to, like way back in the day, I was a prop. Um, the, the, the Seeing Schumann and Porter go up against each other, that's one particular battle because he's really come on. I used to think he was a real penalty magnet, but he's 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 come on and he's like pretty much every try, if there's if there's seven or eight phases, he's in at least two of them. And uh, he, he he's really, really brought on his game. Tends to lead with the arm maybe a little bit much, but um, he's uh, watching him against Porter is going to be something to, something to look forward to. And like you say, it could go either way. Okay, so over to yourself. Paul, how do you see it panning out? Yes, uh, I can't wait for the next two weekends. It's going to be top, top quality rugby. I'll, I'll start with everyone else and end on Ireland. I think, I think Italy win this weekend uh, in Rome. It's it's set up for them to just get two back to back wins against Wales, who literally don't know what they're doing. Italy are playing at such a high tempo. I don't think this Welsh team can live with them. They don't have that fitness that old Gatland teams used to have. I like, um, I know Gatland, you can see the Gatland-esque style of stopping other teams playing at the moment, uh, coming through, especially that English game, but they're not creating anything. And I, I think even against Italy's, even against Italy, Wales can't just batter their way through. There's nothing else there, I, I think. So that's an Italy win for me. I think France and England is going to be an interesting game. The team that will win is the team that keeps patience most. We're going to see a lot of kicks. Whoever loses patience in those kicking battles will lose because that's where the gaps will appear. I think France have that patience if they go to that game plan. But if they throw the ball around, I think they're going to feed into England's hands a bit too much. Looking at the, the final weekend, if Scotland lose this weekend, I can see Italy winning over, beating them. I think the balloon will be popped in that Scottish momentum of what they're doing. A a tough Six Nations coming close against France, like losing because of their own mistakes, coming, possibly losing, losing at home to Ireland, then having an Italian team who might be missing Cabuzzo, but their more important player is Garbisi. As long as he's playing, Italy are a different animal. Tommaso Allen is a serviceable 10. He's not Garbisi. Like, he runs that show. I think Italy would have beaten France with Garbisi at 10, especially with the opportunities they had. I think they would have had a better showing against England. And I think that's the level that he brings them to from his time in France. Ireland this weekend against the Scottish team and against England the week after. The scrum is going to be huge, mainly because I think the ball is going to be on the deck a bit more than than we've seen so far. So I really hope our scrum issues have been worked on. Because I think if the right person talks to the right ref and looks at the angles that we scrummage at, that's a place we could get penalised quite a bit. Uh, that's why I personally prefer uh, Herring or Kelleher starting because I think they're more solid scrubbaging hookers than Sheehan. I think he's just too tall, you know, to be a scrubbaging hooker. So when there's only five scrums a game, it's not a problem. But if we get into double figures, that can become a problem. Uh, Scotland, I think under the radar, Tui Pilato has, you know, that kicking threat at centre they have really adds to something. And it's not something we faced before, which I'm looking forward to see how we deal with. I'm pretty sure Keenan will deal with it, not a problem. But it's nice to have that test come at us. And I actually think if Hogg starts, we'll win. If Hastings starts, um, Scotland have more of a chance. As much as Flash as Hogg is, 
Scotland's backline works better as a unit with Hastings there because mm. he's a he's a distributor and Hogg isn't that. And yes, Hogg might give you a few flash moments, but Hastings stitches things together a bit more. And the great thing is with Finn Russell, Scotland can score four tries, but they can also give us three. So, you know, it's going to be fine. I like he's I love him. And that arrogance and that swagger that he shows, it's not arrogance or swagger. It's he is Zen. That's him. Yeah. He, he just lives in the moment. He goes, oh, that's happened. OK. And he shrugs his shoulders like it's not arrogance. It's like I have to move on. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love that from him. But it's an, it's going to be an incredible end of the championship. I think the way the chips have fallen, I think it's in line for Ireland to get a slam gram. Um, so you don't have- <laughs> I'll do a reverse beat for that. Yeah. <laughs> but I think from an Irish perspective, if we don't win every match, given how we've played in the last 12 months, I actually think that's almost a failure of a six nations. We have to be looking at this team of like, we can beat everyone. This has to be a world cup practice and beating everyone yep. is how you win a world cup. Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the overriding team. It's like I said at the start, um, whatever our own fears might be, it's, it's, it's what they believe and what they, what they, what goals they've set for themselves. And they've clearly um, made a decision on what they want to do. And uh, it's, I mean, but uh, like you say, outside the Ireland game, every, pretty much every match has something big riding on it now going right up to the end. So it's uh, definitely a lot for us to look forward to. Well, listen, lads, we're going to leave it there. Thanks a million to uh, Parik, uh, Kaylin and Peter for coming along for a chat. As ever, you'll find the links to the in the program notes uh, to follow them on Twitter and also to check out all of their great content. So uh, much appreciated, Jensen. Hope to talk to you all again soon. Good luck. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, lads. Well, that's it for now. Stay tuned to harpenonrugby.com during the week for all our regular features. And of course, we'll be giving Sunday's match in the Scottish capital the full Harpen treatment with pods before and after, as well as a whole lot in between. So be sure you're following any or all of our social media channels. The links, as always, are in the program notes. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Slán.